Hello and welcome to another episode of the More or Less podcast. Today we do have a bit of a special episode because Paulina is not able to make it today and I do have another guest. We've actually thought about having these special episodes whenever one of us is not able to be here or also just as a third person, but today it worked out perfectly. So I want to say welcome to Catherine. Do you want to tell us who you are and what we're talking about today? Yeah, I would love to. So my name is Catherine. I'm a friend of yours, as you know. Uh, (laughs) I'm a circus and spoken word artist and I live with a chronic disease. Yeah, and that's also kind of uh, our topic today. Yeah. We actually met each other before I even met my boyfriend. So it's been, I think, almost 11 years. Yeah, right. (laughs) But uh, my boyfriend and you, you uh, knew each other for much longer because you also kind of grew up in the circus scene together, right? Yeah. Here in the city. Yeah, today's topic is going to be ableism. Is that how you say it in English? Yeah. Ableism, right? Yeah. And you looked up the definition. Yes, I did. Because actually right now I'm busy with a funded project which I called unableism. So for three months I can do research on this topic with my juggling rings. I'm a juggler. So this is why I kind of looked up the definition for the arts culture. Maybe I should explain a bit what it means because... Yeah, I think it's a good idea because not everybody knows. And maybe just to like the very, very basics of what you're doing. You're creating a new show, right? Because you are a juggler and spoken word artist, like you said. And you, as an artist, it's kind of always hard to make a living. And especially when you're creating a show, you don't earn money from your show. So there are these organizations that sponsor you, kind of, or where you can apply for... Is that right? Is that correct? Mm, Yeah, I would say it's much more common in other countries. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there are some fundings in Germany, so you can do research on a specific topic or... Um, in a specific field and I got funding just to spend three months researching on the topic of ableism with a certain type of prop. Mm, Um, This prop is uh, transparent. So for me it's um, because my chronic disease isn't visible it was important for me to work with a prop that's also see-through, so you can play with the visibility and invisibility of it. Yeah, so it's like a huge part of your life, obviously, because this disease impacts your life, and it's also a huge part of your work life right now because you're creating a show around it. Yeah, okay. So, the definition. Let's let's maybe go back to (laughs) that. Yeah, so the definition uh, of ableism is essentially that... Ableism is discrimination and the social prejudice that comes against people with disabilities or people who perceive themselves as being disabled. And ableism essentially means that um, these people are being defined by their disabilities and kind of considered inferior yeah but I'm not just a disabled person there is so much more to my disability so it's really discriminating to just see me as my disability yeah I think one example that is like very prominent I've Mm -hmm. also heard people talk about that in Germany is when you use a wheelchair and then you need help to get on the train and off the train Mm -hmm. and some of the people helping there which it's their job to help people with a wheelchair get off and on the train and they say like 
oh, let's move that wheelchair first. And they're talking about the wheelchair, mm-hmm. meaning the person. Yeah. But they're just seeing the wheelchair. So they're just seeing like a part, maybe, maybe even a slice of the disability because you even you don't know why this person has a wheelchair, things like that. Yeah, it's terrible. Um, there's also different phrases. So you can oh, say yeah. somebody is a wheelchair user, mm. but then often people say, oh, this person is confined to a wheelchair, yeah. which is often not the case because a lot of wheelchair users can walk yeah but it just makes their life a lot easier if they don't have to because i don't know just one example i have a a friend who suffers from um, chronic fatigue so if she uses her wheelchair she has a much better life yeah and she's able to do more because she does not need to use up her energy for walking around if she you know and it's Mm -hmm. really really astonishing how when you do have some kind of aid i mean it can be wheelchair it can be a walking stick i have a service dog people Mm -hmm. see you as more disabled when in reality it means that you're much more able to have a more happy and um, easy life yeah i like yeah i guess that's really true and it's really weird yeah because ah because maybe people think that if you don't have a service dog or a wheelchair you don't need it yeah, and therefore, like you're able to live without it, so you're not disabled. And as soon as you have it, you're this person who needs it. But it's just not that simple. And yeah. I think it's with many things in life because we usually do not have everything we need, and we usually do not have everything we want, and we usually have more than we want or need sometimes. Yeah. But when we talk about disability, I guess it's the other way around. People don't get all the help they need. Yeah, and it's so interesting how. So on the one hand, um, it's a bit like, oh, what I don't see isn't there. Mm-hmm. So just because I may leave the house without my service dog, that doesn't mean that I'm less disabled. It just means that there's a reason that right now I, I choose to leave the house without him. Yeah, exactly. But then on the other hand, because it's a chronic disease that isn't visible, now with the dog it becomes visible, but people have doubts. So mm. now if I try to say I want to go to the theater and uh, watch a play, I often don't get access because people don't see my disability. So it also takes away the credibility because people cannot see that I'm sick. So they decide I'm not sick. That's horrible. <laughs> yeah. And then you have this help of your service dog and that's not allowed. But yeah. you were to, able to go there before just without that help. Yeah. Um, I had that last week, actually. I wanted to go see a friend of mine perform. She's an artist as well, and she asked me if I would like to come see her show. And then the theater said, oh, but service dogs aren't allowed. And their compromise was that the dog can stay in the boss's office. So walked away from you. Yeah. How is that a compromise? Because that still means I have to sacrifice my health for these two and a half hours. And if... For some reason, I feel like I don't need the dog with me or I don't know, there are a million reasons why I could go there without my dog. But then it has to be my decision and not the theater's. Yeah. And and I don't see how that's a compromise at all. It's really not. Yeah. Because it's also it's not great for your dog spending that time in a place he doesn't know. And he, you know, he's not around people he likes. He can't run around. He can't help you. He can't be with you. And you... I have to go there and yeah. And I find it really difficult that these people 
don't have my life, but they make decisions about mm. my health. Yeah, I would never feel entitled to make any decisions on behalf of other people. So, for example, if somebody asks me, oh yeah, is, is this accessible for a wheelchair? I don't want to say yes or no, because every person is different mm -hmm. and everybody has different needs. So why is it that in our society it happens so often that people who are disabled aren't even asked. I mean like the, the whole planning and mm -hmm. deciding if service dogs are allowed for example is done by people who have no experience yeah, they with don't... disabilities or service dogs. Yes because they don't know what the needs are they just think mm -hmm. dog but actually they don't know what that entails. Yeah, because it's a special training. Maybe you want to explain a little bit what like your mm -hmm. service dog can do for you and how he's yeah. different from just a family dog or a not so well-trained <laughs> dog some people have. Yeah, um, so my dog is a medical alert dog. There are different types of service dogs. Um, most people will probably know guide dogs for blind people. Mm -hmm. Uh, my dog is not a guide dog, my dog is a medical alert dog, which means that he can, actually he can sniff, <laughs> he can <laughs> tell, is a bit, uh, doesn't really work with a dog, but he can sniff if um, I'm not well. Actually, he can sniff it even before I am unwell. Mm -hmm. Before um, any devices would yeah, alert you or you I, would realize. Yes, I have some electronic devices provided by... Um, my health insurance, which are supposed to do the same job, but my dog is half an hour faster. <laughs> so even when the device still says, oh, you're totally fine, my dog knows that I'm about to become unwell. And then there are three different signals he can give me in order to let me know. Mm -hmm. And then I can help myself before I'm unwell. Yeah. Which is super fascinating, yeah. I think. Um, and so... Maybe just because it, it sounds ridiculous, but why, if you have so many devices, why do you even need a dog? Or, or mm -hmm. what, what is the whole problem with this disease? Um, why do you need like so many things and why is it not working sometimes? Um, I think everybody who owns a phone or a laptop knows mm -hmm. that electronic devices don't always work the way you want them to. And so I think that's one part of the problem. Um, just that it's not a random phone. It means that these devices control my life or keep me alive, to be exact. And so if they don't work, I have huge issues in my everyday life mm -hmm. because my health is deteriorating. And then also the dog is a lot faster and lets me know before I get unwell. So essentially, before that, I used to have a lot of problems in my training, for example, because um, I train juggling and lots of other sports to be able to go on stage. But that also means that my health status, I would say, mm -hmm. or the state that I'm in changes very fast. And so if these devices are slow, mm. it means that quite often I have to take a break or I have to stop training at all. And with the dog, that doesn't happen. I just, yeah, I just feel a lot better because I don't have this feeling of being unwell anymore. Mm. Yeah. And so I, I think it's interesting. I don't know. I don't think we said the word like what your disease actually is. <laughs> um, I think I did that on purpose because, okay. I mean, it's yeah. for me in general, it's fine to talk about it. Yeah. But it's actually something I wanted to mention 
if you see somebody uh-huh. with a service dog or uh-huh. a wheelchair, what disabled people often get is that people instantly feel entitled to know what's going on. So again, ableism kicks in. Yeah. They don't see the person, they see the disability and they feel entitled to be educated. So often, because obviously my service dog has a little vest that says medical alert dog. And they ask me very, very personal medical questions because they see the dog and they feel entitled to know everything. Yeah, that's absolutely true. That's And that's a lot of work for you, right? To always over-explain yeah. your whole life yeah. and, and situation. Yeah, and also if it's a person that I've yeah. never seen before, yeah. I have, a, like, again, ableism. I'm not defined by my disease. I don't want to talk about it all day mm-hmm. long. Yes, I do have this dog, so it makes it visible, but that doesn't mean I want to spend my whole day talking about this disease. I have a life as well. Yes, 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 of course. And I think this is why I don't automatically say what my disease is. But yes, it's a diabetic <laughs> alert dog, to be exact. Um, it's not very common in Germany. I think in, in countries like the US, it is a lot more common to have a dog like that. Um, also in other countries where service dogs are more common in society and have more rights and more access rights. In Germany, mm. I think it's about to change or it's it's been changing. Let's hope it will fingers, very soon, very much. Fingers crossed. Um, but yes, maybe as a, as a piece of advice for anybody who sees a disabled person, visible or not, Just don't ask personal questions. Maybe ask yourself, would you like to tell a random stranger about your personal medical information? I guess not. Yeah, actually, that's very true. And uh, it's interesting to see how we we, uh, randomly stumbled upon this Mm -hmm. thing. Or I I made that mistake of saying like, well, you should point it out. I think it's interesting (laughs) because, yeah, on one hand, you absolutely don't have to. And I, I think many people think because it, they think it helps them understand, but a lot of time it actually does not have anything to do with the exact disease it is when it comes to understanding or... Yeah. Or, or, yeah. And it doesn't... I don't think it... Yeah. And nobody it's has just, to understand. It's not, your, exactly. it's not your place to make people understand or... But I think it's also another symptom of ableism. Mm that people want to know what's wrong with you. And yeah. I don't see myself like that. There's nothing wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, we also didn't talk about me mentioning the disease or not. Yeah, no, we didn't. <laughs> no, but I mean, <laughs> we, But you know what I remember? We did talk about the fact that a lot of people see diabetes as uh, like a common thing that... It's very uh, minor. Yeah, yeah, like a minor thing because you cannot see it. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. People often look well because I think it has to do with visibility and and the yeah the idea that oh yeah so many people have diabetes so mm-hmm. it's manageable. Yeah, and especially I think that's part of it. But also the people I know or knew when I was a child who had diabetes, mm-hmm. it was so much their responsibility. It was so much like, yeah, he or she has diabetes, but you don't need to know anything about it. You don't have to be like careful or, or anything. Maybe if you bake something, there should be any sugar in it. But yeah. that's like about everything I knew. I did not know about symptoms of like yeah. 
people being unwell and how I could help or anything. It was just, they, they will manage. Like, it's a very minor thing and it's, you know, mm-hmm. you don't have to know anything about that. It's, but I think if it's a family member, it could be so helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I realized that the other day that a lot of people I grew up with actually have no idea what it means to be diabetic. And I was like, but it's so clear, like you grew up with me, you you must know how much work it is. But I think a lot of it is just in my head. Mm. So for example, you know, I love when you cook food <laughs> because you cook really well. I love it. And she means me and my boyfriend. Uh, as you might know, as like great. podcast listeners, we have a, a, a great team of us both cooking <laughs> and it's not just me. No. Okay, yeah, but... Just to say, yeah. when the two of you cook, uh-huh. I love it. But when you put your food on the plate, you see, oh, it's delicious. Uh-huh. What I see is, oh, what's in there? What are the ingredients? How many carbs are in there? How do I calculate this? What am I going to do in the next two hours? Mm-hmm. Because I have to take so many things into account that aren't visible to anybody. So it's just a lot of decision making in my mind, actually. Yeah. And it's said that uh, diabetics make about 180 decisions more than an average person a day. Oh, wow, that's crazy. And now coming from like the minimalism um, point of view, sometimes mm-hmm. I've actually thought and heard a lot about decision making. And I think I don't know if it's like a proven theory, but there are a lot of people who think that you just have a given number of decisions you can make a day or oh, like really? of like well-made decisions where we have the energy to think and decide and I think that could very well be true and so minimalists often try to simplify their lives also in order to make less meaningless decisions so you don't want to use up 10 decisions in the morning when you get dressed you can just make it easy by preparing your clothes in the evening or just having a very simple wardrobe so you don't have to make these 10 decisions in the morning Oh, that's so fascinating. Yeah, exactly. And then having like certain decisions for breakfast eliminated, having certain decisions for your work life, for which car to take. I don't know, things like (laughs) that, you know. And so I, I, I think that's another part of it because you don't have a choice. You can't eliminate these decisions about your health, which maybe means there's a lot of energy just going into managing your health every single day, which I don't have to spend this energy for that. That's true. Um... Have you ever heard of the spoon theory? Mm, I don't know if you are referring to the same spoon theory that I <laughs> like that's in my head um, right now. But please it's, explain. It's so fascinating that you talk about minimalist decision making because it it works totally mm-hmm. with what I have in mind. Um, so there's this theory of spoons. So every spoon stands for energy. Ah, uh, okay. Um, let's say um. An average person has 10 spoons Mm -hmm. of energy a day um, that you can use, say for decision making, for making food, um, doing everyday chores, work and so on. If you're a disabled person, a huge part of these spoons already goes to taking care of yourself. So in total, you have less energy than a person that doesn't have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you can take a spoon from the next day, but that means that you have a spoon less for the next day. Yeah, yeah. Um, so sometimes when I talk to friends and I'm, I'm just exhausted because it, like, it takes a lot of time and energy to take care of myself. I'm like, oh, I'm totally out of spoons today. 
Um, and <laughs> oh. it's super interesting how you say that decision making takes energy because I feel the same. And quite often, especially when it comes to food, because it's a huge part of diabetic life, I go for options that are rather minimalist, but very clear in terms of what's good for me and what makes sense. And I can calculate the amount of carbs, which I need to do when I eat. Yeah. Because it just, it's a relief not having to just guess. Yeah, the other thing I was thinking about before when you uh, shared your like day-to-day -day life with your dog and how mm -hmm. he helps you to train and everything. I think, and you said, it's like maybe a bit more complicated for you because you train so much, because these devices are not made for people who have this kind of lifestyle, mm -hmm. but more so for people that work in an office and have like a very static amount of, of like movement all the time. Mm -hmm. And also having a regular job like a routine job yeah yeah exactly so every day yeah. and every hour kind of looks the same mm -hmm. and another aspect i think and that's like just also a huge topic that we're not gonna dive into much more today but uh, sexism and women being different and having different bodies from men and so many of these devices and health things are just made for men and for bodies that are stay the same over the course of mm -hmm. the day over the course of the month and uh yeah i think yeah these aspects might make it even harder and make your dog even more helpful yeah. because he does not, you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't worry him if you're a woman, if you train more or less because he just sniffs if how your blood sugar yeah. levels are. It's, like, yeah. We should do another episode on just sexism and the impact because when you on mentioned like, electronic yeah. devices, all I can say is, I'm, I mean, I'm type 1 diabetic. It's an autoimmune disease. It, there are so many aspects that go into my current state and my blood glucose. And it's interesting. Let's say, let's call it interesting and not yeah. appalling that actually the devices do not take into account when you're on your period. And wow. your period changes your blood glucose. You can't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. It has a huge impact and you cannot type it into the device or the app. It, it's like it doesn't exist. Yeah, that sounds it's difficult. Yet, so, yeah. And frustrating. I mean, ah, oh, it's not that people don't know women have periods, right? It's like, why? I don't know. Let's talk to the app developers. But yeah, yeah that would be a good topic for next time, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. But yeah, I mean, my dog can smell if my blood glucose changes, no matter if I'm on my period or not. Yeah. So that's great. And your devices sometimes maybe try to just uh, calculate something based on some things they know and they can't actually tell. Yeah. Or they should be able to tell, but mm, yeah, it doesn't always work. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's at the end of the day, the app can only work with the data it gets. And the only data it gets is the current blood glucose. And maybe you can, in some devices, you can say if you do sports or not. Yeah, but that's like very limited amount of data yeah. because there's... I mean, you can plan ahead and you know what you're eating and how that's maybe going to affect um, your blood glucose level together with sports, sleep, temperature. I don't know mm -hmm. things you're doing, how, how, where your body is, how your body is right now. But yeah. yeah, it's hard for a device to try to calculate that just based on this one. Yeah, exactly. Data point. We're humans, not robots. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe... Um, 
Are there any other areas we want to talk about when it comes to um, ableism and being discriminated because of this disease or just, you know, also in your field of work and in your everyday life? Um, I've noticed a huge change with me buying the dog because uh -huh. I've had the dog for two years now mm -hmm. and my invisible disease became very much visible with the dog. Yeah. And I've noticed a huge change in behavior from other people towards me because of it. So they see me a lot as a lot more sick now that I have the dog. And before I was able to hide it and I was mm -hmm. almost educated to hide it in a lot of areas of my life because people told me it would be to my disadvantage. And it's true. I have to, I have to say that it's true. Um, so for many, many years when I got a gig... Or I was, you know, I had a, I had a job. I just wouldn't say that as I live with a chronic disease. Just and you don't have to, right? Like yeah, because I thought, oh, but maybe people will be prejudiced and not invite me back. And now that I have the dog, I've lost a lot of jobs and oh. I've lost a lot of access to theaters. And I have sometimes have to fight for my right to work there with the dog. Yeah, so I would have thought that there are like advantages and disadvantages of like telling people and not telling people. But it's really sad to hear that for you getting help from this talk, which makes your life easier, also made it a lot harder in other areas just because it became visible. Yeah, and it's funny how I think a week ago or something, a friend of mine was like, but do you regret getting the dog because he limits you? And I was like, no. Actually, the only thing in being disabled that disables me is society. Yeah. I don't see myself as disabled. And it's, yeah, I mean, also that goes into the definition of ableism, that um, everybody has to have a certain kind of, um, how do you say that, like set of skills or mm -hmm. like... Um, and how do you define that? Like, how, yeah. When are What's you, the norm? <laughs> yeah. When are you healthy enough to be a normal human being? Like, what do you need to be able to do? Because that's actually something I struggle with sometimes as mm -hmm. well. Because I don't... Like, I'm a mom and I work for myself on my YouTube channel and just as a content creator. And so I can't really say that I'm working 40 hours a week. I, I'm pretty sure I work less than 40 hours a week. And that's okay for me. Because maybe I choose to do that. But on the other hand, sometimes I think like... Am I not working enough? Am I not, mm. not like productive enough? Am I like, should I be able to do more or should I want to do more? And if I don't want to, does it mean that I'm like just lazy? Does mm. it mean that I'm not, I can't work under pressure as much as other people? Does it mean I can just do less because I'm not able to do more? And I would still consider myself absolutely inside the norm. I feel healthy and I, I'm not restricted to go anywhere or... And still, of course, there are limitations to anybody, to any life, to any... Yeah. I think if And people... it's weird that I'm even feeling... Or like, yeah. I don't know. I think it comes from this capitalist belief that we have to achieve more and we have to work more and we have to be more resilient. Mm -hmm. And it ties into ableism and what you say about being able to work. And I feel like if everybody was able or managed to tell what kind of work is good for themselves and their bodies their health their mental health as well if that was you know in an ideal world 
I don't think we would have a norm. No, because we are different and we can't fit into a norm. We're like, And yeah. we all just have our own perspective, right? Exactly. That also kind of ties into you don't feel disabled. I mean, that's great. And it's really horrible that society tries to limit you in many ways mm, of to, like what you're able to do and what not. And to label me. Yeah. Because we're all, I mean, I don't, of course we're all different mm-hmm. and there's still maybe a certain norm or a certain way that most people are, I don't know, able to do stuff or prefer to do stuff or don't have huge problems with doing certain things. And then maybe you f- fall into or out of that uh, Mm-hmm. I, I read a very interesting article a few months ago about um, cultural and social norms. Yeah. So if you blend in too much, say, you're considered boring. And if you, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if you do something extraordinary and it's different from the, you know, very core... Of what's considered of what yeah exactly then people look up to you or admire what you do but then if you if you're too far from the norm then it's becoming negative again yeah absolutely because then you don't fit in and sometimes it's enough that you are a woman that you're a person of color that you are Mm -hmm. disabled that you're you know these things that absolutely do not make a difference other than how you look or yeah it's horrible and actually that's also something I've been thinking about because as long as I knew I never wanted to be boring or the norm, I always, there was this thing, and I think it's always a thing when you're a teenager that you don't want to be mainstream, that you want to be different. And I realized very recently, so I just realized like maybe I want to be normal because sometimes, Mm -hmm. and I, I don't have a disability, but I've had cancer as a kid and I was a teen mom. And these two things, for example, they just follow me. I can't get rid of them. And it's, I don't want to really, I'm not the same as you, we're, we're really different, but in a, in a way that sometimes feels similar, that I have to over-explain myself and my mm-hmm. life to people, and that it doesn't define me, and I absolutely, on an everyday basis, I don't think about like, well, I had cancer as a kid, so I'm different, I was a teen mom, therefore mm-hmm. I'm different, but whenever I'm meeting new people, it's always the things that I have to explain, and feel like I have to over-explain, and then this like desire to sometimes be even more normal and have nothing mm. to, to have to explain to people when I first meet them. And yeah. the last thing was that I cut my hair really short two years ago and I thought it felt great and I'm maybe going to do it again. Yeah. But after a few months, I was, I was over it because people kept asking like, why? Why is your hair short? It does look like this and like this. Why did you do it? Why not? Like... It's my hair, my God, it's just a different hairstyle. Yeah. And like this, if there's something visible, this need to explain. Mm-hmm. And I guess for you, it's much worse. It's super interesting because I think the principle is the exact same. Yeah. It's because this uh, undefined norm, I, let's call it undefined because I'm, I'm not sure if it was or is mm-hmm. defined, but somehow... Also, everybody has their own definition of a norm, which is funny because obviously then... That doesn't work then. It doesn't (laughs) exist. But also this uh, difference between visibility and and invisible or non-visibility, that changes so much. Yeah. And I always felt that I had to explain myself to people when they asked me about the dog. 
And now I've turned to either sarcastic remarks mm. or saying, um, yeah, just saying, I don't want to talk about it. And, and that then should be absolutely okay. It should be okay. But then people tend to say, oh, you know, they get pissed off or oh, yeah. they're like, yeah, but why not? And this feeling of being entitled and for us to feel like we owe it to people, even though mm -hmm. we don't. But personally, I feel better to say, I don't want to talk about it or, oh, we're talking about personal details here. You go first. So yeah. that often, you know, shuts people up. Um, I feel better with myself. So I would encourage you to do the same. <laughs> yeah. um, and then, you know, if the other person gets mad about it, then it's not your problem. No, absolutely not. I think the one problem I have or the one thing that still makes me talk about it more than I want is kind of the fear of misunderstanding or mm, yeah. like being a teen mom, like I've never shared my whole story online, I think, and I'm not going to do it right now. <laughs> but um, it's always that if people know that I had my son at 18, yeah. I see 100 questions on their faces and I see that they're wrong with most of the assumptions that they have right now. Yeah. And then I want to correct them. And then I want to say like, yeah. look, it's not like that. Yeah. It was like that and like that. But... <laughs> I don't know. It's 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 not really helpful because I don't want to talk about it, and I'm I can't even be sure if and the picture they have about me is gonna be correct after our talk, or if I have any benefit, if they even want to believe me, if if it's even interesting to them. Like I don't need to explain myself, and yeah. not everybody needs to understand me and can understand me. Yeah, I I think I I feel you. I often get the impression that oh yeah I. You know, I of often feel the need to tell people, oh yeah, but I'm type 1 diabetic. Uh -huh. I was born with it. It's not because I ate too much sugar. It yeah. also doesn't mean that I cannot eat sugar. Or like, you know, sometimes when, I don't know, when I'm at a training space and I have to take a break in order to eat and people are like, I, I'm always like, oh my God, everybody's staring at me because I do that. <laughs> And then I often feel the need to explain myself that it's because of my health or God knows what. But actually, it doesn't lead to more acceptance. It would be mm -hmm. so nice if by explaining myself, people would consider me, I don't even want to say normal because I don't believe in this idea of normal. But yeah, this acceptance and, you know, just being tolerated the way you are. Yeah. I'm always waiting for that moment and it doesn't come. That's so sad. So oh. I stopped doing yeah. that because I feel like I don't owe anything to anyone. And people who I like to hang out with or people I like to surround myself with don't just see that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you don't need to over-explain yourself and yeah. you don't need to... It's not your like job and responsibility and you're part of the friendship to always exactly. make sure they understand correctly and they mm -hmm. and and, yeah. and you know if the context is right I also explain stuff it's not yeah, like I refuse to do that but then I also notice if there's a so-called friend who is like yeah but then you cancelled on me and I had to go to this event by myself and I'm like yeah I wasn't feeling well and then and it's not just like maybe me not feeling well it's like maybe of course everybody has to to have a certain personal boundary of mm -hmm. if i'm really not feeling well i don't have to go anywhere 
but for you that might appear or happen more often yeah or you can't really tell 24 hours before like other people if they get a cold they can tell like ah well it's it's starting to look like i can't make it tomorrow yeah exactly for you it can be so different so i think if then the person is annoyed by me or is i had that the other day that somebody was still mad that a year ago i canceled I was like, okay, I see that you're clearly not my friend. But then I also, I mean, now we talk a lot about the negatives. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I wanted to say. (laughs) Yeah, me neither. But also, I've, with the dog, I've realized how many incredible people I have in my life that see how much I benefit from living with this dog and who don't require an explanation that just say, yeah, it's okay. If you don't have to explain why you've just made this decision and that also don't because a lot of people then get this idea of oh but I have to help her like this is the yeah, other no. side yeah yeah, and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that also that are okay with me saying I'm good I can take care of myself I just need a moment so just leave me alone and mm. then I will let you know or that no if I do need help I will let them know yeah and they don't do this without me asking for help I think it's very similar. There's this very little thing of being a parent and being alone on a train with uh, your child. Mm -hmm. And especially if you have a lot of luggage or a stroller, um, there's always people, and parents have different opinions about that, but um, do you want a stranger to just take your stroller and put it on the train or take it off the train? Do you want them to ask? Yes, I, I mean, I guess I would want them to ask. And then I... Mm-hmm. I can answer if I want the help or not. But the thing is that a lot of times if you politely decline like and say, no, I don't need the help, people are are going to be mad yeah. again. Like, and things like that. And I, again, that's just a very short phase of having a baby when you're mm-hmm. a parent. But for you, it might be an issue your whole life. I think it's also an issue that a lot of wheelchair users have. Yeah. That people just take Grab. a wheelchair. Ugh. And yeah. It's terrible. It's yeah. absolutely terrible. Yeah. I, I can imagine with a baby, it also happens a lot that people don't respect boundaries and touch your child. Yeah. Or are super annoyed if it's not completely silent oh, on, on a plane or, or something like that. And it's just, well, that's just a part of society. You know, babies it's are a part human. of society. Every human has her or his things they need and can do and can't do. And we should respect each other. And maybe let's uh, let's talk a little bit about what can we do to just respect other people more or what are the things you wish if you want or if you mm-hmm. have anything to say about that. Like, what do you wish from people? Like, how can they be open and supportive? And yeah, for, for the future to hopefully change into the direction of service dogs being allowed everywhere and people just being more respectful and not just you know asking to put people in a in a box and then being okay well i've put you in the box i want it now it's good i don't need to see you anymore bye (laughs) um so i'm gonna create this little utopia now yeah yeah and then you turn it into reality for me oh well i (laughs) I can try but it's gonna be hard right so in an ideal world i think people would not touch a stranger or a stranger's dog this yeah. also goes for babies, I would yeah, say. Yeah, definitely. I'm just like, you know, globally. I think respect personal boundaries and ask. Mm-hmm. So, and do you want to explain why it's especially important with your dog? 
Um, yes, with service dogs in general, just don't touch them. Don't ask, don't interact, don't do this, what other people do a lot, this come here, yeah. come here. This is also terrible because the dog is there to work and they cannot focus on their work, which is to take care of the human next to them if they're constantly being distracted. It just, yeah, it makes it a lot harder for the dog and the human. Yeah. And so this is a complete no-go that a lot of people disrespect. I get, I also, I used to get that a lot on trains where people mm -hmm. were like, I was getting on the train, suitcase in one hand, dog in the other, and somebody grabs the dog from behind and stuff like that happens a lot. Yeah. And then people, as you say, get mad if you say no or tell them to stop. So in an ideal world, people would just ask before getting so close to a human or an animal. Yeah, no, I would say it goes for babies, it goes for any kind of dog, really. And for wheelchairs. And for we, wheelchairs. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, so that would be a big aspect, I would say. Then um, I would say it's okay not to know, but it's not okay to judge based on non-existing knowledge. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times when I want to have access to a theater to watch um, a play or, you know, to just go to an event. People tend to make decisions for me without knowing me. And uh, we already talked about this earlier. So how is it that people that don't have a disability make decisions for people with disabilities? Yeah. Because the only person that can really tell is me. Yeah, I cannot you... even speak on behalf of another diabetic because we have a different life yeah and a different reality but if they ask you they can get to know like you and what you need and what to you yeah. want and what would help you and what would actually make your life harder exactly yeah. and then you know i can decide whether it's a safe environment for me and my dog or not mm -hmm. um and yeah if it's a question that has to do with their event or their their venue mm -hmm. then please ask but there's a difference between saying oh um does your dog just to give an example does your dog have an issue with loud noises or people talking on stage and saying oh but dogs don't like loud noises because it makes them bark or and therefore your dog is not going to be allowed at exactly the or to assume every dog is uneducated we've just done two years of dog school to educate him so You know, yeah, and he's not a dog that will just disturb everything social <laughs> and... No, yeah. actually, if the show is good, he will just fall asleep. That's kind okay, of... That's okay, the that's biggest great. compliment you can get from him. Um, mm. So, yeah. And then also, it's another part of respecting personal boundaries. Not to ask a random stranger personal medical questions. And if you do ask somebody that you know, for example, mm. and that person just doesn't want to talk about it then just be okay with it. Just accept yeah. a no. And I mean, it seems like a very, very basic rule. Yeah. But I think it's just something about, uh, yeah, touching on like norm again. Yeah. If you think, if you perceive a person being outside of the norm, you feel entitled to pinpoint exactly what makes them being outside of the norm or things like that. I don't mm -hmm. know. It's But it's very, uh, it's yeah. not respectful. No. And I think another, so this is my last mm. one, Yes, is to, um, to question your norms or mm. your idea of what's good and bad. 
and the way you think about certain things or people. What I notice a lot is even in myself, this ableist thinking is so entrenched because of how we are all brought up. Mm -hmm. So it's obviously always super difficult to to judge a system that you live in. Yeah. But I notice this in myself a lot. I, you know, I see a wheelchair user and I'm instantly like, oh, but do they need help? Or, you know, I also notice myself thinking, ah, um, poor person can't walk. And it's ridiculous. It's yeah. absolutely ridiculous because that doesn't mean they have a bad life. That, and on the other hand... Like the invisible disabilities. There are so many people where you think, oh, they have such a great life. Maybe. Or yeah. you envy them for something. Yeah. But actually they have a disability or mental health struggles or mm -hmm. health struggles you can't see. And it's just... Yeah. yeah. Our eyes are, are great, but they won't tell us the whole they truth. They deceive us a lot. Yes. Um, yeah. And this is something I'm working on myself as well. I don't think I'm somebody who doesn't have this ableist thinking i think it's normal to have that but it's important to make yourself aware of it yeah i think that goes for many things right because mm -hmm. we all have we were brought up as you said in in a capitalist sexist mm -hmm. ableist racist, racist <laughs> yeah environment and so i think it's very very important to always try to learn more and yeah get to know people and don't put people into boxes yeah Yeah. And I think also with my background in studies, I have mm. a degree in cultural studies. Yeah. It's interesting because our mind automatically creates these boxes. And I mean for some for some things it makes sense, you know, if you if you are a small child you need to learn like mm -hmm. this is a tree and this is a tree and this is not a tree because it's just a small plant mm -hmm. and you have to make these boxes and categorize things. This is a person, this is an animal. This is a dog, this is a horse. Uh yeah, But and and our mind does that automatically yeah. if, even if we wanted to we couldn't change it because for our brain it makes life or it makes understanding reality easier mm -hmm. because we live in a world that's so complicated that our mind automatically tries to simplify things yeah but <laughs> that's what i'm trying to do during the last like past few years is actually Uh, being aware of the complexity of oh, yeah. life. So I'm trying to see these boxes I put things in mm -hmm. and to dissolve these boxes and try to take myself out of boxes and take yeah. other people out of boxes and to, to embrace the complexity. Because of course it's difficult, but it also makes it possible to understand complex things. Yeah. Because if you just want everything to be easy, it's frustrating because mm. it's not possible. It's like... Ah, yeah, I think it's interesting that this is how our mind works, but mm. then also good to be aware of it. But then here's another thought that I just had in, in terms of minimalism. Yeah, I okay, completely subjective <laughs> theory. So maybe I'm completely wrong, but I can imagine that simplifying your life in a kind of a minimalist way, as you said, you don't have to decide between 10 pairs of shoes every day makes it easier for your mind because you don't have to think as yeah. much. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just about simplifying the things that where you benefit yeah. from the simplification, mm -hmm. but then having more resources 
to embrace the complexity of the things where that is important. Like other people, I think it's so important to yeah. not try to simplify people into a few boxes. And it, then if you, yeah, exactly. Perfect. And you can yeah. simplify your wardrobe, you can simplify your shoe collection, your, your parts of yeah. your everyday life, the things that are good and easy to simplify. But then yeah. Yeah. I notice this a lot um, in supermarkets. Oh. I often like to go to small supermarkets. To not have that many choices. Yeah, yeah that's the decisions it's again. It's overwhelming. But that's the decisions again. Like yeah. you, you have to make less decisions if you're... Yeah. I think we're uh, at a point where we recorded for quite some time. Yes. And I think um, you've listened to the podcast as well. So we've made that game of like more or less. But I think we've kind of covered that with what would be great for people to know about uh, yeah, how to treat other people. Yeah. essentially and what we want to have less of that's kind of what we talked about during the whole episode prejudices yes assumptions yeah more tolerance yes beautiful yeah <laughs> okay um and i think is there something else you want to add no i well no just a a huge thank you it's a, really an honor to be in this episode yeah and uh, on the other side <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's interesting yeah thank you so much for being here it was uh, an honor for me as well to have you here and uh maybe for all the listeners if the audio seems different this time we're recording in the same place with one microphone so that could be the difference we hope it's not too bad we, we will know whenever the episode is cut and here i want to say thank you to matze for for doing that every time and i yes. hope It's gonna be okay for him to do it. We, I hope we didn't mess up the audio. Um, yeah, and I hope Paulina is feeling better soon because she has a bit of a cold and she will be back here next week. And by the time you listen to this, I hope she will be fine <laughs> already again. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I hope you have a great day or great week, great night, whenever you're listening to this. And we'll be here next week with a new episode. Goodbye. Bye.